Welcome to another edition of the Backdoor Cover IB Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast with your host, Keith Fleming, my co-host, IB Yeezus, a.k.a. Actively Lazy on social media, a.k.a. Facebook. Uh, On this week's Backdoor Cover, we will be discussing the Super Bowl, uh, all of the numerous prop bets that we had. Uh, In fact, we went 25 and 13 smoking hot on the prop bets picks this week. Uh, Then we'll discuss the NFL 2021 Super Bowl futures. Uh, Then we're going to discuss three NBA games. It's the Rockets at the Lakers, the 76ers at the Bucks, and actually tonight's game, uh, the Miami Heat at the Clippers, and then finish the podcast discussing the Pro-Am at Pebble Beach this week on the PGA Tour. Alan, how you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. Have you, as somebody who is a tortured uh, fan of the Atlanta Falcons, have you gotten over the loss on Sunday yet? Um, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm fine. You're I'm good. Just, you're a good man. Just annoyed with with some of the people, like some of the commentary. But other than that, I'm I'm fine. I completely get that, man. Uh, there's nothing worse than, at least with the 49ers, they talk about them a little bit more. But with my Falcons, what would drive me crazy is they have a heartbreaking loss, and then it's the one time ESPN and those places will actually, uh, you know, discuss them, and it's all negative. So uh, let's get this thing rolling. We'll we'll do a quick recap of the Super Bowl. Uh, in case you were living under a rock, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, won their first Super Bowl. Uh, it was their first Super Bowl appearance in 50 years. They came roaring back, uh, scoring 21 points, 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Uh, I had the Chiefs. Uh, Allen had the 49ers for the first three and a half quarters. It looked like the 49ers were going to win almost exactly the way that Allen had pretty much told us the game was going to go. And then Patrick Mahomes did what uh, Patrick Mahomes seems to do. Uh, we both had the under, so we hit there. Uh, why don't you start off just kind of going over what you think about the uh, Super Bowl, Alan? Uh, it was a good game. Um, it did kind of play out like I thought it would. Um, the Chiefs are a very, very good team. They're very, very difficult um, to stop. <clears throat> At no point did I think that uh, 10 points was going to or 21 points was going to be enough, or 20 points would be enough. Um, I think Kyle is taking criticism in the wrong areas, per se. I get that people think that, oh, you should run the ball, you should you should bleed the clock. But if you're not going to get points out of that, then what is the purpose? Because this team can score at any given moment. Like, they're, they're an explosive team. I've been saying this all playoffs, saying it all year. You can't beat teams like this just running the ball. You can't beat teams like this just by thinking that possession will win the game. We are in a new era of football where, honestly, time of possession is irrelevant. If you play the right team, it's irrelevant. Like, what's the point of holding on to the ball? They're going to score seven every time anyway. What's the point, you know? Um, So I think Kyle opted not to play such a dangerous game. He decided to be um, what some people would consider aggressive. I consider it to be the modern style of football um, where he attacked them 
in what would be traditional running downs with passing attacks. Uh, ESPN has a great article um, kind of showing how the plays developed um, in a sense where it, the average person can understand. Like, it was the right call. The second and five was just a lack of execution, and I think the third and five was just a great play by the Chiefs. I think they batted the ball down. But um, on both okay. plays, the read that he, he had or the read that he wanted to be open was open. It just didn't work out that way. And unfortunately, we ended up losing. Um, <clears throat> I don't think – I think Richard Sherman's getting somewhat rightful criticism, but also kind of like – it just – it, I don't know. Like I, I had Ronnie look it up. I think the passer rating on his side was like 118. Uh, it was seven targets, seven catches. Uh, I want to say it was about like 80 yards or something like that. But if you think about it, the one big play to Watkins, everything else was pretty marginal. Uh, but I mean, obviously they found success there. I don't read into this whole Devontae Adams show the Chiefs what they need to do and, and Sammy Watkins saying, like, oh, he knew all he had to do was do an inside release. Like, dude, Richard Sherman has never really done well against guys who are shifty. Um, maybe that's because he's a 6'2 cornerback, and most six-foot or taller cornerbacks struggle with uh, going side to side. And the man just got over an Achilles injury not too long ago. He's on the wrong side of the number to recover from an injury like that anyway. So – Ultimately, he probably is the weakest link in situations like that. And and I think I said on the podcast before um, that we were going to be challenged vertically um, because that team is very fast. And and at the end of the day, the Chiefs exploited that. Uh, The big play to Tyreek and then the big play to Sammy Watkins. I mean, what what can you say? They're an explosive team. 21 in the fourth, I think it's the first time that's ever been done. Doesn't surprise me that this was the first team to do it. They uh, they were incredible. They were incredible this entire playoff run. If you look at it, they've been incredible since Patrick Mahomes has been the starter. Uh, it's easy to forget that he was injured. He missed some time uh, during the season. And that was kind of how everybody sort of forgot about the Chiefs, it seemed like, until the Pats started losing some games late. And it looked like they, you know, not only were going to get a bye, but potentially home field advantage. And something that we didn't get to discuss because I looked at it after uh, we did the podcast last week, but I posted it in the group that I just wanted to go back and look at guys that are either Hall of Fame quarterbacks or are going to be Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So the guys that are not in the Hall of Fame I included were guys like obviously Brady, Roethlisberger, Breeze. Uh, I even included Wilson in that and Peyton Manning, and just wanted to see what their record was in their first Super Bowl. And it shows, you know, we've heard always defense win championships, and and that's been proven out. But it's also been proven out that when you have an elite, like, super special quarterback, uh, overall they were 25-7 and in their first Super Bowls. I think I I posed a question that I think we can all agree Mahomes is on his way to being the next guy. And what was more impressive is that the league has – became more of a passing league. Uh, they've won 10 in a row. Uh, I mean, you look at it, and if, if you're going to say, some will say Eli Manning is going to be a Hall of Famer if you include him, it's 11 in a row. And it just shows that when you have a special quarterback, uh, you're at an advantage. And uh, 
I actually think in some ways Jimmy G has been a little unfairly criticized as well. I know he was not what you want down the stretch, and he obviously missed the throw to Emmanuel Sanders that could have potentially won the game. But I also think you've been saying all year that he is not one of those elite quarterbacks. And that game flipped so quickly that he was then put in a position that, honestly, he's not equipped for, at least not right now, and it was exposed. And uh, just the fact that the stat that I saw about Patrick Mahomes, it was so incredible. Was I believe I saw that on they were third and 15 three times this season. Uh, and in all three of those instances, he got a first down. One of them was a touchdown. Obviously, this was the huge play, the Tyreek Hill. And he's just a special quarterback. And it is scary to think moving forward, you have a great coach in Andy Reid an unbelievable young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. He's 24 years old. He's won an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl. And there was that long stretch in the AFC where either uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and then throw in one year of Joe Flacco were basically a 17-year stretch. One of those quarterbacks was in the Super Bowl, and there was definitely a chance moving forward that Patrick Mahomes, maybe Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson could potentially be those three guys. You could see a stretch where they are consistently the guys representing the AFC. And, um, you know, I hate it for you. Again, as a fan, I've gone through Mm -hmm. as much heartache as anybody. It always sucks to lose these games and to get that close. Uh, But I I am happy for the Chiefs. I'm very happy for Andy Reid. Uh, I think that it's good for the game to have a new young face uh, like Patrick Mahomes. This is kind of the future of the game. Uh, let's go over the, the props because, honestly, man, like there were some that I remembered that we went over and went, yeah, we were doing okay. But when I actually went through them, I mean, dude, we were on fire, like on fire. So real quickly, just to kind of go through these, Uh, As I said, you know, I had the Chiefs, you had the Niners, so we won one, lost one there. We both liked the under. Uh, The margin of victory prop, which if you remember was one we discussed, if it was not for Damian freaking Williams busting that 40-yarder, we would have got that one correct as well, which I believe that was actually a three-to-one. The total team rushing yard prop we lost – we, hit, we both loved the Niners kicking a field goal at plus 350 for the first score. That hit. Uh, we missed the highest scoring quarter prop. That ended up being the fourth quarter. Uh, the second quarter, which we both liked, was the second highest one. Uh, we both missed the total score, uh, points scored prop, but I don't even know if you remember this, but when you were discussing it, you actually said a score that equated to 51 points, which was exactly what the total was, but then ended up deciding <laughs> to go 41 to 50. So you were that close. That was a plus 700. Uh, the MVP prop, obviously, we both said Mahomes is the heavy favorite. Garoppolo on the other side, so that was a winner. Uh, the Who the MVP will thank first, we won at plus 175. For God, good old Patrick Mahomes said he wanted to thank his Lord and Savior. Uh, Jimmy G total yards on his first completion prop. We both liked the over of six and a half at 175. That was a winner. Uh, one of the ones that I really liked was what happens first. Jimmy G throws a touchdown or an interception and ended up being an interception. That was, I believe, a plus one, like 35. So that was a good one. 
Uh, we both were big on the Mahomes first pass as a completion or an incompletion. We both like an incompletion. That was plus 165. That was a winner. Uh, Mahomes first completion yardage over under prop. We both liked the over. It was eight and a half yards. That was minus 175. That was a winner. Uh, we did lose the Mahomes will throw a touchdown in the first quarter. He ran for one. He didn't throw one. Uh, his total passing touchdown prop, uh, we both took the over at two and a half. That was a loser. Again, he had three touchdowns, but only two were passing. Uh, we did, though, both hit at plus 300, two or more touchdowns in a single quarter prop. We both loved that. We discussed about how they, you know, scored in bunches. That was a winner. Uh, I actually lost this prop. You liked it, which was the longest completion for Mahomes. It was 44 and a half. That was the big play to Tyree Kill, obviously. That changed the game. That was at minus 120. That was a winner. Uh, we, we lost on the Mozart total rushing yards, but we both hit on the longest rushing attempt. It was 16 and a half yards at minus 150. He had a 17-yard carry. Uh, one of my favorite props that we hit was Damon Williams' total rushing attempts. It was 13 and a half. We both liked the over. He had hit that by halftime, basically. Uh, one of the ones I was most proud about was my Kevin Coleman over under total uh, yards uh, at 10.5, or excuse me, longest carry at 10.5. That was plus 130. He nailed that on an early run. It was basically all that he did. Uh, we both got the Tyree Kill and Debo Samuel over under total rushing yards. Uh, Tyree Kill was five and a half at minus 115. Debo Samuel, which you called this with the end of rounds and reverses, it was 17 and a half at minus 110. We both missed the George Kittle to score a touchdown prop, which we liked at plus 20, uh, 120, although I did like the under for his total uh, receiving yards at 65. That was minus 120. Uh, we did miss the Debo Samuel to score a touchdown. Uh, one, in my opinion, your best cause was your fullback, Cal Kierzik, over under receiving yard prop at 10 and a half. Uh, that was minus 115. That was a great call. Uh, we both loved Tyreek Hills over under reception prop at five and a half. Uh, that was a winner. Uh, you really talked about Nick Bosa's over under total sacks prop only being at one. Uh, that was a winner at minus 120. Uh, we lost the Damian Wilson total tackles, including assists over and under prop at minus 110. We hit the Tyron Matthew total tackles, including assists. Uh, his was also at, uh, I believe it was five and a half or six, I think, or no, excuse me, it's five and a half. He had six. Uh, and then we both like Richard Sherman not to intercept a pass. That prop was at minus 550. And we did lose the player to score the first uh, touchdown. Uh, prop, which that was a loser. Uh, the only thing I regret because you were so confident on Cal Kurizek, boy, what kind of odds we'd have got for him to score a touchdown. I don't know what it is looking back, even, but I can only assume I think it was like, that would have been some juice. I think it was like eight to one. I think it was like eight to uh, one. I was going to say. Imagine what it was like for him to score more than once. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that was a fantastic for, uh, way for us to end the NFL season. We were uh, really good, specifically you. I know I got you on the last game with the uh, the winner, but you still had an amazing run through the playoffs. I believe that was only your second loss against the spread uh, through the entire playoffs. 
So, uh, you know, pat on the back to both of us. Before we get out of the NFL this week, the 2021 Super Bowl winner future bet has come up. Do you want me just to go through these with you, or do you have some that you've already looked at, you penciled in? How, um, how do you want to do this? Yeah, I just want to put out a disclaimer, too. Um, I took the Niners. I also had the Niners 12-1 to to win the Super Bowl, but I had also taken a 4-1 to on the Chiefs back in November as well. So I didn't totally lose, even though it, was a it win-win. did kind of – yeah, it reduced this thing a little, but I was definitely invested as a fan. Um, yeah, we don't have to go through um, all the odds. We could just talk about the ones that we like. Um, I will say it is tempting to do the Chiefs and the Niners again, as either or, as 6-1 and 8-1, because you expect somebody to, to come back. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of things played in favor for the Chiefs leading up to the to the home field advantage that they got because the Patriots squandered that. And then right. um, somehow, some way, they ended up going through the playoffs without having to play the Patriots or the Ravens, um, which also helped. But the way they were playing, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have beat them too, especially having um, – home field against the Patriots, the the kicker would have been if they had to travel to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Yep. That would have been interesting. Um <clears throat> I'm I'm looking at this like the Patriots at fourteen to one, you gotta take a shot, man. You can never count them out. That's not really That's the highest they've lot. been in a long time, right? It's gotta yeah, be. Yeah. It's it's pretty high. Um and then I'm not understanding why the Browns are twenty five to one. But what is up with that? I would, yeah, I would, I would bank on, I would bank on the Patriots at fourteen to one. I would wait to play the Saints because we need to know if Drew Brees is coming back or not. Um, and then I, I still don't trust what I've seen out of Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. Um, it hasn't looked good in the last two playoffs. Granted, the first one was kind of like a a trial run, but this this last one where he was his, his MVP season, I expected more. Um, it's very disappointing. Um, I like the Chiefs to come back. I like them to repeat. I like them to to win because Mahomes in his prime, man. Andy knows how to coach. Uh, I think they're only going to get better on the defensive side of the ball, and then offensively, um, they'll always execute as long as they got Tyreek Hill and all that speed. I don't I don't see them having any problems. Uh, a long shot. <laughs> a long shot with. It's some long shots in there too. Um, maybe the Falcons at forty to one. Honestly, I mean they'll have Matt Ryan and Julio back, and maybe they can get the defense together. But I mean, I, I feel like they're always going to be in play to some degree. This year was just so bad for them. It's hard to imagine that they don't bounce back. Uh, in a special way. So 40 to 1, I would take them as my long shot. Do you understand? Because that was what I was going to ask you. I don't want to be a homer, but that was actually them and the Colts were the two that I saw that I was kind of surprised that their odds were so high. I know the Colts, uh, you know, obviously they stumbled late, but that's a really talented roster. Uh, there's the potential for them to, you know, possibly upgrade at quarterback or just for set get that much better from last year to this year. And then again with the Falcons at forty to one, I mean I'm just seeing teams above them like the Chargers, the Raiders, 
Uh, and honestly, even the Texans, who I, I really like, but I think they're several pieces away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And in the NFC, I just I look at the Falcons and, you know, again, full disclaimer, I'm a Falcons fan, but they were very good down the stretch. My biggest question was, you know, what the hell happened early in the season? But, I mean, I guess the counterargument would be they still have Dan Quinn uh, as their head football coach. But, I mean, at 40-1 to 1 with the talent on their roster – uh, the fact that they're not going to have a brutal schedule uh, kind of because of the way they finished. Uh, and their division, as you just pointed out, if Breeze ends up not coming back, uh, that division is not very good. I mean, the Bucks don't technically have a quarterback right now. The Panthers, uh, it all signs point right to Cam not coming back. Is it, Do you believe that? Um, it's hard to say. Like – I want to I want to think that they they're going to bring him back. I don't think there was enough for people to really believe in Kyle Allen. Um I think Cam really compliments um uh, McCaffrey and um it it's just a weird situation like I know he's owed, he's owed like 20 million or something like that but but if he comes if he shows that he's healthy enough to, to do what they expect him to do, to, to return to the MVP-type caliber that he was and, and being the basically the, the carrier of that offense, you, you can't let that go when you have somebody like McCaffrey um, who compliments him just as much as he compliments McCaffrey. But you have to replace Olsen. They have to replace their tight end. They're going to really need, need him to have a, a sturdy-bodied, uh, capable um, receiving option. If they out there, sign Austin I think, Hooper, I will break something. Hooper, like, literally yeah, break Hooper something. would be, Hooper probably would be a nice addition. I, I'm just, it's, I'm not betting on a team with a coach fresh out of college, and I'm not betting on That's a team a with a trash quarterback. Um, like, like I'll just put it out there. There's not, there's not much logic that you could put into a future bet this early, per se. But you can guarantee that Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, um, Trubisky, Jared Goff, yeah, Trubisky, um, Jacoby, um, and Jameis Winston, guys like that, they're not going to the Super Bowl, Okay. A coach like Bill O'Brien, he's not going to the Super Bowl, okay? Um, so you can nix all that. A, a team to, to take a shot at, at 22-1, to Seahawks. Uh, like I said, the Patriots, 14-1. to These are traditional, like, contending programs or contending teams, contending franchises that are going to keep their centerpieces and then probably pick up either somebody from the draft or somebody from free agency to kind of solidify themselves. Um, they've already got proven winning caliber quarterbacks. Those are things that you want to look at. Um, the the Texans, I swear, if they had anybody other than Bill O'Brien, I would right. give them a, a look. I would give them a look. But the thing that keeps me um, engaged with Atlanta is that Matt Ryan has proven that he can play. He's proven that he can win games and he can get to the Super Bowl. Uh, Dan Quinn might have got lucky. Lightning might have might have struck. 
that particular uh, time. But if they get a, if they get a capable offensive coordinator and they stay healthy on defense, like that's really been one of the things that's really hurt Atlanta is that they constantly stay injured. If they basically have everything fall in place, it could work out for them. It's really hard for a team to be that bad with that much talent two years in a row. It's, it's really hard. Yep. Even if the coaching is bad, it's really hard. And you got to think with the Saints having issues in in their quarterbacking um, future right now, the Panthers have a brand-new coach, the Buccaneers still have Jameis Winston. Falcons could win the division next year. They really could. I agree. Just based off of the fact that they, they, they have their centerpiece and a, and a quarterback who who's um, – a franchise quarterback. He might not be what everybody wants him to be, but he is showing he's a franchise quarterback. Still got one of the best receivers in in the league. Uh, Calvin Ridley emerged as, as somebody that could be beneficial as well. Um, they'll probably want to boost their um, their running game a little, but there's enough pieces there that that team could be sneaky and win the division next year if, like I said, Drew Brees doesn't come back. And there's a couple other things working in their favor in that division as well. So they're already, if you look at it that way, they're already one step in because they're almost right. virtually guaranteed a playoff spot if if they're in a weak division. So you take that into consideration with some teams that you think might could contend because once you get into the playoffs, all you got to do is get hot. Look at the Titans. You, I mean, we yep. see that every year or every other year at least. A team sneaks into the playoffs and they're hot. The Eagles. When they won, snuck into yep. the playoffs more or less because everybody was like, "Oh, Wentz got hurt. It's it's over for them." But they came in hot behind Foles, made a run. Titans, I mean, unfortunately ran into a buzzsaw in Kansas City, right? But they came in hot. They came in hot. And they almost made a run. Eli and the Giants did that. I want to say at least one of their Super Bowls twice. for sure. That they, they did won. twice. I believe. Um, okay, yeah, they got hot and they came in. They won. Um, it's it's just so many different like examples of that. So I I would definitely look at teams that you think that even by chance a team like Atlanta by chance they get into the playoffs they got to get shot because they can win their division. They get into the playoffs they could be a problem. Take the bet. I mean it's it's high enough odds. Forty to one is nothing. You put ten dollars on you get four hundred dollars. No, like it's not like that's what. Yeah, we're not telling you to bet. Stood out to me. High grand money. But, but yeah, right. it's, it's worth like those are odds that are worth worth a shot, even if you're not a fan. Like those are what I consider to be smart, calculated risks because you're not spending a lot on it, but the payout is is good enough that what's ten dollars in there. And a lot of times when you look at these crazy Vegas bets, that's how they happen. Somebody walks by, I put five dollars on it, I put ten dollars on it, and then you hear about them making twenty grand later in in, right. in the season because it's crazy they put on it so by all means go for it um but don't be a sucker and take teams that don't have uh i would say all pro caliber quarterbacks i don't want to say hall of fame because i don't think matt ryan's hall of fame but he's all pro level right so yeah take take the chance with that but, but if you if you out here betting on um Betting on Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff and, and crap like that. Don't tag me. I don't want to hear about it, man. Not this early. So let me ask you one more thing, and then we'll move on out of this. 
the the three uh-huh. teams that stood out to me, and maybe this is why they're so high. I mean, the Titans, I can kind of understand that 30-to-1 range, but you also have the Chargers and the Raiders. Is there any chance you think that they are hedging, and I mean Vegas, that Brady does want to leave New England, and that's one of the three teams that it is rumored he would potentially go to. And obviously all three of those rosters have talent, and if you take their current quarterback, put in Tom Brady, even at this age, they're more of a legit Super Bowl contender. Do you believe that's why they're at 31? Because like I said, outside of the Titans, I just don't understand what the Chargers and Raiders are doing there with the other teams that you know are still behind them. I don't think Tom Brady is even considering playing for uh, John Gruden. <laughs> and even if he did, there's, there's, look, let's be honest about what Tom Brady is right now. Tom Brady is not good enough to make people around him better. If he were, the Patriots would have been at home field, and they would have been contending for the Super Bowl. They wouldn't have got beat by the Titans. That's been the downfall of the Patriots this year uh, offensively, is that Tom Brady's not good enough to make the people around him better. Edelman's getting older. Uh, there's no more Gronk as a safety net. Uh, I mean, they got they got the young boy from uh, Arizona State, but I mean his playmaking ability is limited um, from time to time. Yeah, they they brought in a guy like Sanu, who back when Tom Brady was Tom Brady, <clears throat> a guy like Sanu would have ate man. He would have had numbers. People just right. They gave him what a second form or something like that. But yeah, like, people had that. these expectations. <laughs> yeah, they had these expectations. And I don't. I think we need to really dial it back. If Tom Brady goes to a team like the Raiders, they don't got Antonio Brown. They don't got anybody that you could really name that's a, a real threat in the, in the receiving area. They've got a great young running back, but that's not going to be enough to win the Super Bowl. Um, now, with the Chargers, they got Allen. They got Williams. Um, they got um, Henry. Oh, man. <clears throat> they got Henry. Yeah, they got options. Um, that would make more sense. If if that were Vegas logic, like hey the Chargers could get Tom Brady, that would make more sense. But I mean it's it's still like I think I think we give Brady too much credit, and and I think we have to understand, or at least in my mind, Bill is probably more important than anybody. But the the sum of all the parts is what really makes the Patriots. So Brady leaves. It's going to be some kind of drop off, man. If Bill's not Brady's coach, it's going to be some kind of drop off. Like they've been doing this for so long together, it's hard to imagine that separate they would be even remotely as successful or consistent. You know, that's my real issue right. too. Is like if, if Brady goes to the Chargers, I don't feel compelled to take him because they're not getting the Tom Brady that, that uh, we knew in New England at all. Like, this Tom Brady that I just saw last year, why would anybody really want him on their team without Bill? Like, why? Sell unless tickets, you got, right? Unless Basically. you got guys like, yeah. If you got the weapons that the Chiefs got, then sure, because they got all this speed and stuff. But, hell, he might not even be able to, to really help them because he, he's not that accurate vertically anymore, you know? in in. If you can't get separation, he can't really make the throws like talking about. I mean, he had some really bad games this year, and and I think that he hurt them a lot on offense. So I'm not really concerned with who he goes to or whatever. I mean, he's 42. It's showing finally. So 
I mean, our entertainment. Father Tom's undefeated. Yeah. I'll say our entertainment in the sense that it probably upsets Patriot fans to some degree. Uh, (laughs) But I I remember being really, really young, and and when Joe Montana left the – the 49ers to to go to the Chiefs, it was it was kind of like the same reaction. People were like, "What are you doing? Why are you getting rid of Joe Montana and this and that?" But Joe was declining, man. Hell, Joe even talked about it in some of his interviews after he retired. He was like, "Well, I mean, they kind of made the right decision, you know." Right. And so it's kind of like it's kind of all the same way. The Patriots really need to just go ahead and and really groom a backup, man. And I was confident in Jimmy G to some degree, because Bill wanted Jimmy G and wanted to push Brady out. I, I, without a doubt, believe that those rumors were true based off of some of the things that were going on um, behind the scenes and how those guys were acting on the sidelines. I really think that <clears throat> that at some point Bill saw potential in Jimmy. So I'm, I'm waiting for Kyle to bring that out, and um, I, I think that's just the natural course of things. So, I would not bet on Tom Brady to get to the Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. That's basically what I just spent five minutes trying to say. <laughs> no, you're good. So just so we got this, your favorite plays probably out of this list would be the Chiefs and the Niners because I mean they're both in great positions well, to get back, and then the the Falcons are you know it's one of the teams kind of in that range of Seahawks. It's just kind of a, a long yeah, shot that you know would, there's reason behind. I would say the Chiefs. I think the Niners are a little overvalued at eight to one. I mean, last year we were supposed to be like one of the worst teams in the league, or at least like the third best team in our division. Um, eight to one is is really jumping the gun um, <laughs> with the team that that struggled yeah. with the couple injuries down the stretch. I mean, we had some things falling our our lot uh, working our favor, but. I really prefer the Seahawks at those odds based off of how close they got to getting home field advantage in this past playoff. Um, I like them at those odds. With no running game, one. right? Yeah. Yeah. I like them better at those odds than I do with the Niners. You can make the 8-1 to one on the Niners throughout the season if you bet it, right? I wouldn't take that chance on a Super Bowl um, reappearance, though. All right. So let's move on. Before we get to the NBA and golf, I just wanted to discuss there was a big trade made in Major League Baseball. Uh, the Boston Red Sox, L.A. Dodgers, and the Minnesota Twins, the, the, the big news out of it was the Boston Red Sox sent the 2018 MVP, 27-year-old Mookie Betts, uh, before he hits free agency for a contract, some are saying is going to be in the $400 million range along with David Price to the Dodgers. Uh, the Red Sox got back some uh, farm system players. One of them is an outfielder who most believe will end up making the roster and starting in the outfield. Uh, but neither of these guys were what anybody considered one of the top three Dodger prospects in their system. Uh, one is an outfielder who's got a lot of upside, but he's got back issues. The Dodgers couldn't really use him because of their already loaded outfield before the Mookie Betts trade. And the other is a starter that most people believe will be a re- reliever. This move has really upset Boston fans because it's it's basically a move strictly about cash, or more so the luxury tax, I guess we should say. With players like Chris Sell and J.D. Martinez, they opted in on their contracts, the Red Sox, 
are basically making a statement that they had no choice. They shed $27 million owed to bets plus whatever his next contract is, and then the $96 million still owed to Price. Uh, teach your kids to play baseball is the theme of that. Uh, the move will save Boston almost $100 million over the next three years. It will allow them to be a big spender again going into the 2021 season. Ironically, this is something that surprised me. Despite losing bets and price, the Red Sox win-loss over-under only went down one game, which was a little surprising, and the Dodgers are now even more of a heavy favorite to win the NFL, go to the World Series. Uh, what are your thoughts on this trade and kind of from a gambling perspective, what do you think about it for both teams? Man, that trade is trash, <laughs> For the Red Sox. Listen, man, I'm a baseball fan, and I'm not trying to hear about no large market team that's historically a big spender like Boston. I put it this way. Boston, New York, and, and the L.A. Dodgers, I'm not trying to hear nothing about them trying to save money to get under a luxury tax. That has never been an issue for these teams, ever. I mean, the the Yankees kind of tried it uh, after George Steinbrenner died, but, I mean, it didn't take long for them to realize, like, this isn't what we do. This isn't our ministry. Um, and they've got – they did build their farm system up, and, and they got guys like Aaron Judge and stuff come through there. But you see how they spent this, this past uh, winter. So I'm yeah, not gave trying a million to dollars think, to Garrett Cole. Yeah, I will say this. I do understand the Red Sox wanting to get rid of Mookie via trade because he wouldn't sign the, the extensions and things like that that they wanted him to do. I'm not buying the BS about him potentially getting $400 million. No, 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 no. If Mike <laughs> Trout didn't get $400 million, there is nobody, nobody. If Mike Trout and Garrett Cole, after the, the year he had, didn't get $400 million. There is no other player right now who could command that unless it was, like, my boy Ronald Acuna, who maybe, like, three years from now might, you know, command that type of money uh, if he continues on his, like, triple crown pace and all that craziness that he got going on. Like, he's very really talented, but he's a five-tool player. Like, Mookie has – maybe four and a half, maybe five if you catch him in a really, really good year. Like, he really had an amazing year uh, year before last when, when he was pretty much the second best hitter in, in all of baseball at one point. Or I know he was competing with J.D. Martinez in a couple categories and, and things like that. Like, I think he kept J.D. from getting the triple crown. Um, but he was amazing, he like, a year, a year and a half, I mean, or two years ago. Uh, he's a great defensive player. Um, he has the potential, but he he's not a $400 million player. I mean, let's just keep it a buck, man. Boston did exactly what everybody cringes about when they're a large market team. You have a bona fide star, all-star caliber, uh, potential like MVP talent that was homegrown coming through That's your system. Deal. You're a big money team. Like, Mookie could have been the Derek Jeter for Boston right now. Like, they, they they raised this kid, and then they just let him go? Like, he wouldn't sign? Like, there's something more to that, man. There's, there's got to be. Because he wanted to hit the market? Who's outbid Boston in the last decade? Like, who literally has went toe-to-toe with Boston for a player and, and outspent them? Nobody. Nobody. I'm not trying to hear that. I, I think it's BS. I think they jumped the gun. I think it's I don't care how much money 
they had to pay the Dodgers to take uh, David Price. There's no way you trade a talent like Mookie Betts to a team with a top five farm system, and you don't get any of their top prospects, none. When the New York Yankees traded Chapman to the Cubs, they got Glaber Torres. Have you seen what he's doing right now? And then they turned around and got Chapman back through free agency. I saw the Red Sox. I saw the Red Sox trade Lester to the Athletics and then turn around and try to sign him back again. But he ended up going to the Cubs because, you know, the Cubs just – I think Epstein went to the Cubs and then they just do literally the whole Brinks truck. But I'm saying that could have been their – they could have done that strategy. Mookie's a free agent next year. They could have really hustled the Dodgers and turned around and just signed them back next year. They already dumped the the money on that Price had. It was a possibility, but – no, they got a number eighty-five prospect from a top five farm system. Like, come on, man! I mean, he, he's a flamethrower. Um, I think they said through he's he was seven and zero through the three levels of baseball: single A, double A, triple A. And he had an under two ERA, and that's all fine and dandy. But in this day and age, guys are throwing consistently, consistently throwing a hundred miles an hour, end up on Tommy John in like two or three years. I mean, it's happened to everybody. It happened to Strasburg. So at some point, he's going to be just consistently throwing 95 or 96. And then it's like, you let Mookie Best go for this, man? Like, ugh. It's not a good look, man, to me. I give this trade a F for everybody except for the damn Dodgers who just somehow keep getting richer. It's it's a hustle. And, and if the Dodgers keep Mookie uh, long-term, if they're able to sign him long-term, then it's it's – Definitely a hustle. And, I mean, all you need to say about this, and this is all I'll say before we move on, is the biggest winners from this trade, other than the Dodgers, are the Yankees and race because it just weakened uh, the other powerhouse in the AL East. And if I'm the Yankees, I'm smiling today. And, uh, obviously, if I'm the Dodgers, I feel like that, you know, not only did we get Mookie, but, I know David Price is getting old, but you can't tell me you wouldn't want him for a postseason pitching roster with all the experience he has. Obviously not as your number one or number two starter, but potentially for a game three, game four, or middle release. I'm not giving that dude the ball ever. (laughs) No, man. Really? Him and Kershaw, I would would never give them the ball in the playoffs, man. I haven't seen enough. (laughs) But don't you think Kershaw got a little bit of – a reprieve in the sense that his last two, uh, you know, postseasons that he's got the most rock were by the Astros, and now with well, what's came out, I mean, is there some fairness to that? Because I've read a lot of articles. I don't on give it, him any. You look I don't at give it, him any reprieve. I don't give him any reprieve because I saw this dude throw to Mike Adams, who's a lefty, who was probably batting like two twenty. And he got crushed. Mike Adams hit this man with a pool holes type bomb. And the Cardinals <laughs> ended up beating the Dodgers. Like it's been it's been too consistent. If anything, it's insulting that the Astros felt like they had to do that when everybody else has just hit them straight out. <laughs> like why, why do you have to do that to Kershaw in the playoffs? Like it's just it's sad because Kershaw gets over pitched and overused and they leave him out there too long every goddamn time and then they bring him in as like a, a middle relief person in a in a game five or game seven 
every damn time, and every time he does the same thing. There's a limit to this man's arm, and for some reason, Dave Roberts doesn't understand that. He just doesn't understand it, and it, it's put Kershaw in a bad situation. Like uh, in boxing, we say sometimes, you know, you got to save the, the fighter from himself. If, if you're a cornerman, throw in the towel. Throw in the towel, Dave. You keep leaving this man out to dry. Like, throw in the towel. And, and it is sad. I, I, I hope that uh, Bueller can um, take over that role of, of eating all the innings and they just, like, really ta- uh, taper Kershaw off because I feel like if, if he didn't throw so many innings, he probably would be really effective in the postseason. I mean, he's still got good stuff, but they just overpitch him. And it's sad. And it hasn't been – it's never been fixed in, in L.A., and that's really – the biggest reason why he's not successful uh, in the postseason. David Price, he just ain't clutch, bro. He just, he ain't clutch, man. It, it's no, no. I watched him with the Tigers, not clutch. I watched him with the uh, Red Sox, not clutch. Right. I watched him when, when they brought him in with the Blue Jays, not clutch. Trust me, it ain't <laughs> what you want. Now, he could, he could sometimes guys go from American League to the National League and then they become Cy Youngs again. Uh, he could potentially do that, but I I need to see it first, and and I don't care if he throws if he throws under a two ERA when when October comes, I'm still gonna sweat bullets if I gotta it. give him the ball. <laughs> nah, man. I mean, if, if there's one thing about baseball, man, like history doesn't lie with a lot of these guys. You either got it or you don't, and it's very rare that we see people really turn around uh, their careers like they usually show you who they are by like their sixth or seventh season for the most part. And and we've seen who David Price is in the playoffs for a very long time. So it would be a Christmas miracle if he turned it around. I, I don't even think they've got him in the rotation size four, honestly. And that might be what he needs. He might need not be in a position where the teams depend on him like he's an ace. And maybe that will help him. Right. All right, well, let's move on to the NBA slate. Uh, please, we're, we're going to call this uh, the uh, MyBookie, our sponsor uh, NBA game slate. If you're going to go to MyBookie to do your betting on NBA, you want to do a futures uh, NFL prop, just put in the promo code, uh, code IBSports. But we got three games. One of them has actually just started full discretion, but it's the Miami Heat at the L.A. Clippers. Uh, the Clippers are giving six and a half. Uh, the Heat coming into this matchup, they've won seven of the last ten. The Clippers are coming in one and eight of their last ten. Uh, the issue is the Heat struggle on the road. They're 12 and 12. Uh, the Clippers are obviously really good at home. They're really good everywhere right now, but they're 21 and five at home. Uh, I like the Clippers and will give the points. Who do you, who do you like in this game and why? Um, I would like the Clippers, um, just based off of how they play. Um, and then they're at home and then the Heat just made a trade. They just got rid of Justice Winslow. Um, he's going to, uh, Memphis and then Andre Iguodala, who's apparently a diva now, is going to the Miami Heat, which I'm not really understanding what the difference is between Memphis and the Heat. Yeah, it ain't like they contenders, bro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but whatever, yeah, I mean, all right, well, 
I can hear Corey now. You don't understand the difference between living in Memphis and living in Miami. You're right. You're right. Um, so, uh, with that being said, I mean, I think the Clippers are the best team in the NBA. Um, and it, it's been funny to me that they haven't even had uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor that long together. Uh, and, and then the few times that Paul George has been able to actually play with Kawhi, they're on minute restrictions and they don't play back-to-backs and stuff. And they're doing all these, like, catering to the superstar things and they're still winning basketball games. I'm, I mean, Doc's a decent coach, man. I think he gets, should get credit for how he's managing this. I, I know guys are pretty mad. I, I saw um, – where um, Harold has said something, and Doc pretty much told him to shut the f up. <laughs> like he was basically saying it wasn't fair that these guys are out here busting their butts, and then you know they they kind of catered to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and it's like Doc pretty much told him in a meeting like, know your place. Like, yeah, they're superstars. We're gonna cater to them because you can't win without them. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I would have took them. Um, the Heat, the Heat are a solid team, man. Uh, they kind of fell out of a groove a little bit over the last like couple of weeks, but um, as long as they stay healthy, they're a very competitive team. They're gritty. Spoh is one of the best coaches in the league that people don't normally name first, but he's definitely up there for for maximizing potential um, in in his roster. <clears throat> so you also like the Clippers given the points? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on to tomorrow's and uh, game. There's two of them we got. The the first one, I've seen it at even on ESPN, on uh, my bookie and the Action Network. It's actually off the board. It's the Houston Rockets at the L.A. Lakers. Uh, this is because uh, both Westbrook and Harden have been dealing with injuries. Capella, uh, is, I guess, is being traded. I still haven't seen it. That's 100% official. Um, it's actually my Atlanta Hawks. Uh, both teams are coming into this matchup six and four in their last ten. The Lakers have uh, not been great at home against the spread. They're obviously still dealing with the loss of the legend Kobe Bryant. Uh, if the line stays at even uh, or around that, I would take the Lakers. Uh, LeBron last, I guess it was last night. Uh, I, I've never seen him do this. He hit what five threes in about a minute and a half. Uh, and I really think the Lakers, once they get a little further away from uh, the tragic passing of Kobe, it's really going to inspire them. It's going to bring the team together, motivate them. I don't think it's going to be too much pressure on them, or at least I hope it's not, because I know they all want to win this title this year for Kobe. So if that line stays there, I like the Lakers in this game. Uh, Who do you like and why? I can't bet on anything, Houston, man. Have you seen them play lately? They are James trash. Harden struggle bus. <laughs> Woo. Man, when he ain't struggling, the rest of the team's struggling, and then they also <laughs> don't have a center. Like, who's going to stop AD? If, a- if AD plays, he's going for, like, 50. I mean, they got, they're going to have to check him with um with uh, – P.J. Tucker, I guess. Playing a 6-5 lineup, right? Let me ask you something real quick. Yeah, yeah. Their defense is terrible this year. After a couple of years of actually going from being awful to at least, you know, the middle to closer to the top half, was Chris Paul that big of a difference on their defense? Because they were. They were pretty good the past two seasons, and now they're right back 
to basically before he got there where they're honestly maybe the worst defense in the league. I mean, is that the issue? What is the issue? Uh, issue is always effort, man. Defense is all about effort. Like you can take some of the the most unathletic, goofiest looking, sorriest basketball players ever, and you give them a high motor, and they're going to be some of the best defenders out there. <laughs> it's just effort, man. Like the Rockets just don't commit to putting forth the effort on a consistent basis as a unit. Uh, PJ Tucker plays decent defense when he wants to, and he's old. So I mean, Arden can at least contest shots if he wants to. He just doesn't really try sometimes. And then they they try to run team concepts on defense and my man don't be he don't be in the position and then he don't rotate. And it's just like I said, it's just effort, man. It's just effort all across the board. Guys just wanna get buckets, man. And ultimately they rather just you miss and be on a fast break than them actually have all to right. contest your shot and and risk maybe getting hurt or drawing foul. So, uh, I mean, that's somewhat of today's game. I mean, pace and tempo dictates everything. Um, you don't see guys crashing the boards as, as hard as uh, they used to with a bunch of players. You usually see, like, one or two or maybe just one guy crashing the board, and then everybody else is an outlet to start the break because that's kind of the game we're in uh, right now. Everything is uh, – everybody's big on transition buckets. Uh, because if they can't get back on defense or set their defense up, then, then you're good to go. It's a, it's a high percentage uh, shot. So I think that's really – Dan Tony's always been like that, though. He's always been – he's never had a good defensive team. It's just part of his system. Like, that's just not what they do. They, I think, like, he's one of the forefathers of that whole concept of transition buckets. And he's he's always had, like, Steve Nash and, and some other point guard that, that can get the break going quickly. And, and get those buckets uh, effectively as well. So I think that's more of a, a philosophy and system thing. Chris Paul definitely, uh, when he was with Houston um, and not hurt, he was definitely good at, at orchestrating defense, getting guys in positions and giving effort. He's very sneaky uh, and, and good with his hands around the ball, especially um, defending, like, larger players. He's, he's good at stripping the ball when guys hold the ball low. That's always been his MO as a, as a point guard. So, um I would say definitely having somebody like that um, who, who not only can play offense but knows how to switch from offense to defense very quickly and still start fast breaks and and allowing somebody like James Harden to play more freely because he's covering more ground or, or playing um, more passing lanes, it probably did help them out a lot. Um, so, I mean, that would be my take on it. You're not going to get defense out of these guys, bro. Like Westbrook, maybe. Right. Because uh, he, he does he does hustle. Um, and he, he's got some pride. But, um, like, Harden and Gordon, that ain't really what they do. <laughs> well, they're going to need a fix that, or they're going to be out of here early this season. So, well, the last no, thing we're going to be out, at, They're going to be out early. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the 76ers are going to Milwaukee. Uh, the Bucks are nine points favorites. Uh, Philly is really struggling right now as well. They've fallen to six in the East, which is hard to believe. They are six and four in their last ten, but they've lost three in a row. The Bucks are – I put this on the page the other day. I don't ever remember a team. They're 43-7, and seven, and, like, nobody seems to be talking about them. They're nine and one in their last ten. Uh, I'm just going to put it this way. The Sixers got smoked. 
by Boston, who is a team they're supposed to match up well with. Milwaukee is not a team they're going to match up well with. With the way they're playing and the way the Bucks are playing, I'll happily give the points and take my chances. What do you think about this game? And then we'll move on to the golf. Uh, 76 has been one of the worst teams on the road, man. No, no reason to think that you need to take them in this spot. Um, I just saw Al Horford make, making comments about there being issues in the locker room that they're going to handle internally. Uh-huh. Just a lot going on. I know, I know MB basically came out and said that um, people want him to play in the post, but he's got to play in the three-point line to, like, to help the spacing and or hinted to something being wrong with the spacing. It honestly, to me, sounds like it's time for Brent Brown to go, man. He's been there long oh, enough. Man. He's had he's way had, past. He's had enough. Yeah, he's had the talent to 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 make a good case for why he should be kept, and it's just not it's just not working. Um, but I mean, I feel like Philly's gonna come around to that eventually. Uh, it's unfortunate they're gonna probably waste another year before they come around to that. But that would be my um, my opinion on why they're collapsing. So. With that being said, Bucks have been playing good basketball. Um, they play with a lot of energy. A lot of guys are really playing above their pay grade right now, and they've got a good vibe about them. And being at home against a team that that they probably consider a, a playoff contender and, and a threat to to their status as best in the East, I I don't see them taking a day off or having a bad game here. I don't either. So for the final thing we're going to discuss, we're going to get into the PJ Tour event. It is at the same Pebble Beach. Uh, it is the Pro-Am. Excuse me. It's not just at Pebble Beach. Because it's the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, it's another one of those events that it's uh, actually over a couple of different courses. Uh, you have Pebble, Spyglass, uh, and the shore course at the Monterey Peninsula. Uh, but they play it twice, including the final round. That is Pebble. Uh, this is a historic event. They go there each year. Obviously, last year they had the U.S. Open there. Uh, Gary Woodland won. This is nothing like the U.S. Open course that they played. It's it's much easier. It plays much shorter. I always give the key stats that you need to pay attention to. This week you have strokes gained approach, scrambling, par four scoring, and approach from inside 175. Uh, it is very important to know that at Pebble, particularly in this event, a non-major at Pebble, uh, that course is suited for guys that hit it in the fairway, play par four as well. In fact, really all three courses sort of set up that way. I'm going to just go through my guys I like real quick, and then and we'll let you do the same. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and start with uh, the two guys that if I was going to pick a winner, they would probably be 1A, 1B. I really like Paul Casey this week. He's 18 to one. Uh, he literally is just a checklist for all the things we just discussed that lead to success. He has not been in great form as of late for himself, but he is literally one of the top five ball strikers in the field. His recent success is only a bonus. He finished tied second and tied eighth in his last two appearances. So he knows this course. He's got the game for it. The second name is another guy that is not in great form, and that's Jason Day at 20 to 1. Uh, Day is honestly very similar at Pebble that he is at Torrey Pines. Uh, he's not in great form, but there are certain venues that, in my opinion, especially at 20 to 1, you got to take a chance with Day. This is not a super strong field. He's one of the more talented guys in there. His strokes gained approach is 
awful right now. He is not in the top 100, which that is already actually he is. He's 91st, but he's right there. And obviously, I just said this is very important there, but he was terrible in the strokes gained at uh, Torrey Pines, which is another course he plays very well on, where scrambling and putting on Poana Greens is important. He finished tied 16th. So he was around there. Hopefully, he does a little bit better uh, in his ball striking. And then this is the main reason I'm really big on day. His last six attempts at Pebble Beach in this pro-am, uh, in all three courses, his worst finish is tied 11th. Uh, when you get a guy that has got that pedigree, that kind of track record, and again, uh, you're getting them at 20 to 1 in kind of a weak field, I really like them. Just a few other guys I like or bets. I love Snedeker at 22 to 1. Uh, he is coming off a miscut, but he finished tied third the week before at Torrey. Again, that's a similar course to these three. He's arguably the best Poana Greens putter in the world outside of the guy named Tiger Goat Woods. He won here in 2015. He's always good on shorter courses where you don't have to hit big drives. It's more about just getting the ball in the fairway. Uh, some other guys I really like, I like Vaughn Taylor for a top 10. I saw this. He is plus 650 for a top 10. Pretty much everything I just said about Brent Snedeker, you can say about Vaughn Taylor. Uh, and, again, plus 650 for a top 10. He also has a decent track record out west on Poana Greens. Uh, I really like Russell Knox. It's one of my long shots. He's 50-1 to one to win. He's plus 200 for a top 20. He has back-to-back top 15s at this event. He's been in the top 40 in his last four events. He gained four and a half strokes on the field in his approaches last week. That's obviously a big key to this tournament. Uh, for that kind of odds, for a top 20 and even a long shot, I like it. I also like Max Hama at 75 to 1. He is plus 250 for a top 20. He is a local guy from the area. He's played the courses a ton. He's uh, coming off of back-to-back top 10 finishes. Both of these in uh, events, he has uh, he's been in the top 25 in strokes gained, uh, which again is a great deal. So he's a great value. And then finally, my longest of shots is Jimmy Walker. He has a win here in 2014. He is one of the best ball strikers uh, in 2020, and is always a good play where he doesn't need to hit driver. And I don't know if you've seen it, but he is doing uh, using a new putter uh, called the Direct Force. It is uh, not a uh, beautiful putter by any means, but it is very effective. He's starting to putt putt better, and Jimmy is one of those guys that he can, from time to time, kind of find lightning in the bottle. And when you're getting 125 to 1 in a kind of weak field, I like Jimmy as my longest of shots. Who do you got this week, Alan? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm having technical difficulties. I just got dropped for some reason. Um, I like David Duvall at plus 200,000. I'm just playing. <laughs> I can't believe he's on there. That's not right. Um, so I haven't, um, I haven't capped it yet because I got to 11 tomorrow, so I've been kind of lazy. I had a long day at work today. Um Usually, when I'm, when I'm thinking Pebble, first of all, I think did Phil win it last year? He did. Okay, so I, because I was gonna say, I remember winning it with Phil Jackson. I mean, Phil Mickelson, and then 
I made the fatal error. I had picked Gary Woodland in the U.S. Open because of ball striking, but I didn't hit uh, Inner, and he was 80-1 to 1 to win that tournament. And I'll never forget. Yeah, my brother-in-law so made a fortune. Um, it is a difficult course to cap, man, because you, you got so many different um, – like venues to to put into play, but I I, I got to go with with the just age old concept. It's, it's like a coastal uh, course, ball striking and um, strokes gain on the approach. Like you're not looking for bombers out here, so I'm really confused as to why Dustin Johnson's like the the leader at six to one. I like Patrick. Kennedy His track actually. record there is fantastic. But even his track record, he hasn't played well in forever. And and also, I want to let you know that I'm going to snitch on somebody in the group. They asked, what was the, what was the difference between Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler in your golf group? I think you should look it up and kick him out. Um, what? <laughs> Patrick can't. Yeah, somebody said that in your group. So Well, for starters, a major. Pat- <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. I like Patrick Cantley at 12-1 to 1 for my favorite. Um, I do understand, you know, Jason Day and his course history. Um, I think you mentioned uh, Snedeker. I did. Okay, yeah. Snedeker, um, I can see him doing well. I don't know if I want to play him at 20 to 1 or if I go with Paul Casey. Paul Casey is always really good, but then he's always not closing it out. <laughs> so it just yep. kind he needs of to come from behind. Yeah, basically. Um, Snedeker's been, been um, to me, a poor man's Webb Simpson uh, on the tour. Like, he's he's been really consistent. Um, just Webb is, is, is on an elite level right now when it comes to, to the way he's been playing. And, and to me, Snedeker is like the light version of that. So, in a tournament like this where there's not a lot of big names, I, I think he could definitely be a player. Um, I'm, I'm not touching anything Jordan Spieth. Uh, my boy Victor Hovland got a smoky more because he just missed the cut on what I felt like was a course that he was like built to. to I don't know what's going on, on with him, man. He's struggling. Yeah, like I, I thought he was yeah. gonna just come out killing it this year. Um, Max Homa is. I, I he's was on my one of the radar, guys man. I gave. Yeah, he's I on like my radar. Uh, he's been he's been playing some some good golf, and again. These are the type of tournaments where you really want to look at these guys that are 30 to 50 to 1 because these are the tournaments where those guys usually win. Like, yeah, I like Patrick. You can Kennedy get them for 75 to 1 in some places. 75 yeah. to 1. Yeah, I think last year when Phil won, Phil was about 40 to 1. So, yep, um, he was. So it's not, it's not a, a bad look, but I would say. I'm going to target ball strikers and guys who, who um, the strokes game um, in their approach, and then check to see how the weather's going to look because if 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 it's windy or something like that, you might want to take a look at guys who who are good with the irons. So I'm I'm starting to learn a little bit. <laughs> Try to get do it. Oh no, you you do very that. you do very well, but uh, yeah. we just got to get a winner, so, man. Like, I had the leaders yeah, so for three days, and you had the guy down the stretch. I have to report that um, I have bet every golf tournament except for maybe three this year. Um, 
And I, I mean, even on the the Asian swing that they did, I bet all those because I remember I was talking to you about it. And I have come in second place at least ten times, including last week. And then, not to mention, that was I had Finau last. I, I had Finau this week, or uh, this past week, and then the week before that, I had John Rom. So I mean, it's just it's just been so consistent. I've got two winners. And that was Neiman on the in the first tournament of the year, Atlanta Griffin, in in the tournament that he won, and then like I said, just a ton of runner ups. I mean, you were you were basically on the phone with me when I was crying about how uh, Rory beat Xander in the playoff, and, and yep. I've literally lost all my runner ups have been in playoffs, and I think this year's been like a a record for playoffs anyway, but I've been on the losing end of all the playoffs. I'm on a terrible run, but but it's it's just one of those things where you, you get so close every time, you can't quit. Because <laughs> all you got to do is win. Oh, no. Yep. But um, if people want to know my, like, official picks, um, I will be – I should be able to post those no later than 10 o'clock um, tomorrow. That's 10 o'clock Eastern. So that give you guys at least an hour to to follow or or come up with your own stuff. But um, like I said, strokes gain on the approach, and then looking at ball striking, and then checking the weather. Um, I will also say that um, I am starting to shift my uh, focus on um, my props, and I'm playing like uh, an American, a European, an American, and an Asian. Because the Asian golfers, have, sure. there's been a few Asian golfers that have cut some top 20s in a lot of these tournaments, and they go unnoticed. And so are you doing still uh, – are you doing any verses? I meant to ask you that the other week. Do you ever do the head-to-heads? I do head-to-heads in, in majors. I don't like head-to-heads in these smaller tournaments because these are tournaments where guys sometimes it's a crap shoot. a club or something like that. And they mess around yep. a little, um, but like you know, I'm all for it when we get to the Masters, we get to the U.S. Open, the British Open, things like that. Oh yeah, I'm all over the hit the players. I'm all over head to heads on those tournaments because I know those guys are taking it serious. And and I'm not gonna lie, I target people like Dustin Johnson when they're because I think last year I think you followed uh, me when I was talking about the. Um, the uh, PGA Tour like championship, like the the playoffs mm-hmm. that they were doing, I bet mm-hmm. Justin Thomas, DJ heads up every. I bet it so oh, much yeah. they took it off the board yep. <laughs> because I'm like, there's no way he's beating JT, man. Like, and those are the situations I really think that people need to start taking advantage of and head to head. Like a guy like Jordan Spieth is playing so bad right now. If you put Jordan Spieth up against like, um, um. More, more Kawa or um, or even a Matthew Wolf on some courses, like you're gonna get some some like real value betting against him in those situations. Hell, I would bet Adam Hadwin on some of these courses against Jordan Spieth. Like he's just been playing that I, bad. I completely agree. Uh, just some other guys, real quick, before we get out of here. I'm just going through. The, uh, you know, longer shots. Some guys to pay attention to because of what we were talking about leads to success there. Jim Furyk, 60 to 1. Kevin Na, 60 to 1. Chaz Reavy is 60 to 1. Those are all guys that fit the bill that we were talking about. A little bit lower down 
Uh, Bo Hostler fits in that uh, bill. Jason Duffner at 150 to one. Keith Mitchell, who has cooled off but had a good start, he's 150 to one. Uh, there is definitely some guys where you can find some serious value. Stuart Sink is 250 to one. Again, a guy that on most courses, Steve Stricker. 250 to 1. I'm not talking about these guys just for wins. I'm saying because their odds are so big, it would not be out of the realm to to get some pretty good odds on a top 20 on some of these guys. Is there any other you want to give before we get out of here? Um, I can't pronounce the dude's name. Uh, <laughs> Zee Zee the tour now, Zee. man. Don't feel bad. <laughs> I was Zee, oh, yeah. Zee 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 Zee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So, so, I I mean he's played in some some courses where ball striking has been a premium, and he's hit, I'm not taking him to win, but I mean he's 200 to one to to win the whole tournament. So I can only imagine what he's like at a, as a top 20. To me, it's worth a look. Uh, Harry Higgs is another guy that I would take a look at just to see how he fares on courses like this. To look at like a long shot, Bo, Bo Hostler. Uh, Joel uh, Damon, Aaron Wise, other names that typically would draw value as low, like low end plays in DFS and things like that to to make the cut and and still maybe potentially crack a top twenty. Wyndham Clark, another guy um, that is feast or famine. Matt Jones, feast or famine. Kevin Chapel. Feast or famine, like those those type of guys I'm looking at in a smaller tournament like this with these high odds, though, to, to crack a top 20. Like, I'm not going to play them all, but there's value right. in, in those particular plays, and, and you don't have to worry about it really killing your bankroll because you're just taking them to get in the top 20. So it's not it's – not, honestly, Doc Redman's another one. Like, they're not bad. Trials, Ryan Armour, these are guys that I've seen post some good numbers in, in, in tournaments like this. You mentioned Steve Stricker. Absolutely. Yeah. I did. 300 to 1. Yeah. So, so another guy I would definitely look at as a top 20. And then my gosh, Steve Blink Power, doesn't matter there. Like his name. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't. And you get a lot of guys who take these tournaments like this and they use new clubs and, and swings and things like that to work on. And they don't play, they don't pay, uh, post as big of a number as they want to. Like, like a guy like Matt Kuchar, who's at twenty to one. Let's say he comes in, he's trying a new a new grip for his putter. He's not going to really be twenty to one. He's going to probably be more like the sixty to one because he's trying something brand new. It's going to throw him off. It takes time to to get into the groove with that. So you get value by fading him and picking somebody that could potentially take his spot. This is also a golf course that people, even though it's not set up for these golf courses, I say. They're not set up for a major, but they're all, like, fairly difficult golf courses if you're not on tee to green. And a lot of guys will prepare for majors this way where, say, they may be laid back even more than they normally would. So they'll have longer irons into the green because they're going to be getting prepared for longer courses for the majors just to kind of further your point. And you just, again, you really want to look for guys that are going to be very good, uh, particularly – tee to green, and then the scrambling, which is the main reason that Jason Day was the guy that, again, I really like here, even though he's not in great form because of his recent uh, success here, and he's arguably the best scrambler in the world. 
Uh, so even if he's not hitting a lot of greens like he did at Torrey Vines, he gets it up and down so much that he can still, still finish tied 16th, hitting the ball honestly awful, which is a huge key. So is there anything you uh, else you want to say before we get out of here? Nope. Um, other than stay the course, man. I mean, shoot, I'm having a, a bad run in basketball right now. Things are not bouncing my way. But I know some people get discouraged. I mean, my advice is to taper down your, your bets if you're in a bad run. Wait till you get hot again. Or if you're really a degenerate, just stick to what you do, man, and it'll work work itself out eventually. Like, I, was, I wasn't that great at NFL coming into December. I think I was barely 50%. And then I don't know if I missed many bets in December. And then you heard about my playoff run for, uh, for NFL. So – I mean, it's just a batter staying consistent. Basketball, I was I was under 500, and then I think I won seven in a row, and I got to 60%, and then I've lost, I think, the last three or four. But, again, these types of streaks happen sometimes, so you just got to stay the course. Absolutely. Well, I have enjoyed it. This is another edition of the Backdoor Cover on the IB Sports podcast feed. It is the IB Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast with myself, Keith Fleming, uh, my co-host, the IB Jesus, a.k.a. Actively Lazy on Facebook, <laughs> a.k.a. Allen. We have enjoyed this uh, and support the IB brand. And I'll talk to you next week, buddy. All right, man. Take care.